everybody, and welcome to the David Glenn Show. Hope your afternoon is off to a fantastic start. We have some fun in store for you today, including a lot of football. Thanks to my producer, Darren Vaught, for hosting yesterday's program. He is back in the producer's chair. I am fresh off the golf course, also known as raising money for the kids. The Carolina Hurricanes have a once-a-year tournament. I am honored to be a part of it with some good friends. We played well. We won another prize. Most importantly, we raised a lot of money for the Carolina Hurricanes Give Back type foundation. More on my day, but more importantly, more on the weekend that was in football and otherwise. Mac Brown of the North Carolina Tar Heels and Antonio Brown, unrelated, now with the New England Patriots, jammed my inbox, best of the weekend style, worst of the weekend style. The Carolina Tar Heels, plural, were best of the weekend for winning over the Miami Hurricanes, getting to a 2-0 start that most did not anticipate. As the Tar Heels were best of the weekend, the Carolina Panthers were for some worst of the weekend. No embarrassment in losing to last year's NFC champ, the LA Rams. But at home, with a chance to win, Cam Newton and others let Panthers fans down. It was a disappointment because of what might have been for the Panthers as they start 0-1. It is a celebration because of what has happened in Chapel Hill. Tar Heels over Gamecocks in Charlotte in Week 1. Tar Heels over the Miami Hurricanes at home in Week 2. The place was rocking. Our big tailgate tour was there. Mac Brown had asked the traditionally late arriving UNC fans to be in their seats 30 minutes before kickoff. I was not an eyewitness at that point, but by kickoff, everyone could see, including an ACC network audience, that it was hard to find an empty seat in Keenan Stadium. And it has not been that way very often for the last 20 plus years since Mac Brown had the Tar Heels putting up back-to-back -to -back top 10 seasons in the national polls, 11-1 his final year before taking the Texas job. It has not been that full, that loud, that fun in victory very often in the last 20-plus years. Mac is back. Are the Tar Heels back more generally, or will the 2-0 start prove to be more of a mirage? We'll get to those questions and even your answers with mine at 1-800-849-2761. As we talk about the Panthers and other NFL, you can feel good if you're a fan of at least this list of teams. Patriots anni annihilated the Steelers, and that's without Anthony Brown on Sunday night, right? The Chiefs go to Jacksonville and spank the Jaguars. We knew the Chiefs would be good again. The Saints, the Rams, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Chargers, most of these were on the preseason list of favorites to begin with. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson, I know it was only the Dolphins, but 59-10 to 10 at Miami. The Vikings and the Packers also get off on the right foot. There's probably more fan bases. Some of those first week wins were over clearly inferior opposition, so we're not as sure what to take away from those. But we're through two weeks in college football. 
we're through one week of NFL action. We have our own extended best and worst of the weekend votes. Since I was not here yesterday, I could not cast those ballots. I did receive yours over the weekend, and I do thank Darren Vaught for carrying the torch yesterday. He is on the other side of the glass today. We do have great guests to sprinkle in with your answers to our questions of the day. For NFL fans, what did you learn, good and or bad, about the new-look Carolina Panthers? Cam Newton made some throws that suggested his shoulder really is okay. Norv Turner is back as the offensive coordinator. They did play a very difficult opponent in the L.A. Rams to open the 2019 regular season. They were at home. There was a good crowd, but they fell. I would argue that they played at a Rams-like level, meaning they had a chance to beat last year's NFC champion in the fourth quarter couple of really ugly plays by Cam Newton took away from them the chance to win. There were others to blame. There were others to really celebrate on both sides of the ball. Final score, Rams 30, Panthers 27. I'll get into my what I learned, good and bad, about the Carolina Panthers. We'll take your calls on that at 1-800-849-2761. And coming out of a weekend where, seriously, the best thing I saw, and I watched a lot of football, and we had an absolute blast with the folks in Chapel Hill at the Big Tailgate Tour. We're coming soon to ECU slash Greenville and App State slash Boone. More on those details as our traveling circus continues to stop at all of the best places for college football all across the great state of North Carolina. Great openers, state over ECU, and then Carolina over Miami. Maybe we are a good luck charm this year for the home teams. More on our stops in Greenville and Boone later this month. Best thing I saw was actually on the tennis court. Serena Williams couldn't get it done as the greatest player in the history of women's tennis. She made the final, but she lost. Rafael Nadal might end up as the greatest of all time on the men's side. He is right up there with Djokovic and Federer as we speak. It was an unbelievable five-set, five-hour-long almost championship match against a young superstar from the international ranks, Daniel Medvedev. Nadal does get the win. He does get his 19th Grand Slam singles title, only that Roger Federer has more in the history of men's tennis with 20. That was an off-the-beaten-trail highlight for me, even as I pick over the NHL Major League Baseball Team USA going for the World Cup of Basketball in China. As we speak, they're at the quarterfinal mark at this point, and yes, the Americans are one of the eight still standing there. Special guest today on football, Joe Person on the Panthers and the NFL from The Athletic and The Athletic Carolina, a fine website to which I am also a contributor. Tony Barnhart from ESPN and the SEC Network, Mr. College Football himself. Tony, third hour on the college ranks. Joe, second hour on the NFL ranks. Kyle Bush is going to drop by as well. As we welcome your answers to our NFL question of the day and our college question, NFL, what did you learn good and bad about your Panthers? We can talk about other NFL as well. You can chime in with your question or comment a little bit later this hour at 1-800-849-2761. And for the college football question of the day, I'm going to take it ACC-wide. I want to raise my cap in honor of the LSU Tigers beating the Texas Longhorns. The Ohio State transfer quarterback, Joe Burrow, is giving those Tigers, the LSU version, play at the quarterback position that they have not seen very often. Now, I don't know how long it's going to last, but they crushed what I think is a decent Cincinnati team from the AAC. They were going to win. We knew that. 
But they are now looking really good, the Buckeyes, after their coaching transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. It's early still. Don't hit the panic button just yet it's your, if your favorite team is not where you want it to be. But don't celebrate the trophy just yet, even off, if you're off to a good start. In our backyard, let's face it, NC State 2-0 and under, oh, under Dave Doran. You're supposed to be 2-0. and oh. Give you credit for dominating defense and amazing stats. You're going to need to get better to improve on last year's nine-win campaign, for example. You're supposed to be 2-0 and when you play ECU in a rebuilding year and Western Carolina missing a lot of its star players from the FCS ranks and not even a great FCS team for that matter. App State is supposed to be 2-0. and Eli Drinkwitz's debut with the Mountaineers. Inferior opponents the first two weeks you're supposed to win. So I'll raise a glass to all three of those guys for starting 2-0 and in our backyard. Mac is back is the bigger story because the Tar Heels played two Power 5 opponents, one of them away from home, and they beat the Gamecocks and they beat the Hurricanes this weekend. Mac Brown and the Mac is back theme, one of the reasons, along with the Tar Heels matchup at Wake Forest on Friday. If I asked you who's the third best team in the ACC, I'm asking it that way because Clemson's number one in the nation. And if you think somebody in the ACC is better, we're going to have to leave that conversation off to the side for another day. You're looking at a different world than I am. (laughs) I know this is debatable, but I'm going to say UVA is number two. I have seen as much football, if not more, than anybody in our statewide audience when it comes to ACC football. I've seen all 14 teams play, most of them more than once. UVA should be 2-0, but they dominated Pitt, last year's Coastal Champion, at Pitt. They dominated William & Mary the way you're supposed to. They have veteran talent on both sides of the ball. You all know Bryce Perkins at quarterback. Bryce Hall is the most celebrated NFL prospect on the entire defensive side of the ball in the entire ACC. They have other veterans to go with those guys, and they have some really promising new guys contributing whose names you may not have heard unless you're a UVA fan. So I know it's debatable, but just go with me for a second. I picked... Clemson to win the Atlantic I picked Virginia to win the Coastal and so far it is playing out that way again it is debatable on the Cavaliers but let's leave that off to the side there are a lot of candidates for the answer to who's the next best team in this league you might even think one of them is better than UVA again if you think they're better than Clemson I'd ask you to hold your horses until we see more evidence along those lines. But if I ask you who is the third best, if you're a state fan, you could make an argument for the Wolfpack in part because of the dominating nature of that defense. And yes, you're supposed to be 2-0, but the dominating nature of the 2-0. If you're a Carolina fan, you have an argument. You were picked by many to be 12th, 13th, 14th in this league. You have an argument right now that you're the third best team in the ACC. If you're Wake Forest, my preseason pick to prove to be the best football team in North Carolina this year, the Deeks have a real good argument to be the next best team in the ACC. It will be the Tar Heels at the Demon Deacons this Friday night. We have kind of a shortened sandwich style schedule because usually we're waiting for Saturday for the big college football games. We're waiting for Sunday for the big NFL games. We get two of the potentially better teams in our state going head-to-head, and it is a Friday night special with the Tar Heels at the Demon Deacons. And on the NFL side, we get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visiting your Carolina Panthers. It is already September 10th. They are playing some Thursday night football, so we have just a couple of days to talk about Carolina Panthers game two. 
and a couple and another day to talk about the ramping up of the college football weekend. We'll get to your calls on those questions of the day. Who is that next best team in the ACC in your eyes? 1-800-849-2761. And what did you learn, good and bad? I'm going to give my answer specifically about the Carolina Panthers. You can chime in about the other results of the NFL weekend. Shout out to, among others, ECU coach Mike Houston, Elon coach Tony Trishiani, and Louisville coach Scott Satterfield. They all won their first games at their new coaching stops this weekend. The Buckeyes, the LSU Tigers, the Clemson Tigers, the Tar Heels, and others, other best of the weekend. And it was great to meet Tim and Diane Hensley of Hillsboro. They, along with a whole lot of friends, Tony, Paul, Jonathan, Jackson, and others, they were in the Bulls lot near the Smith Center. We appreciate their hospitality and friendship. We had a great blast with them. They have an awesome tailgate right there at the corner of the Bulls lot nearest the Smith Center before they head over to Keenan Stadium for what turned out to be an amazing night of college football for Mac Brown and the Heels. On the other side, we have our first guest, Kyle Bush is once again the NASCAR regular season champion. He, of course, wants to win the Cup Series again. He did that four years ago. On the other side, Kyle Busch live. Joe Person and Tony Barnhart on football later. Your call's in between. We're glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. David Glenn Show. We'll get back to your calls. Best and worst of the extended weekend. A lot of football and otherwise. Joining us now, a guy who just cranked up another championship. This time, it's the regular season title on the NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series. He is seeking another Cup Series championship. We mean the playoffs when we say that nowadays. Back in the day when Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt were winning seven each, that was a different format. They just meant that was they were the best most consistent drivers all year long so they won the title jimmy johnson seven came under variations of what we call the nascar postseason and that's how kyle bush won his four years ago he is seeking number two kyle welcome back to the david glenn show how are you I'm doing well. How's it going? We're doing great. We're kind of used to this in the team sports we follow, right? Like the Patriots could be 16-0 in the regular season but still lose the Super Bowl and they don't have a title. You grew up with the postseason. Is this the best way to determine a champion, especially given that you've been the most successful here to this point in the regular season? Yeah, I guess it's, uh, you know, it's the most fair, fair format we've had. Um, you know, years ago they, they had 26 you know, if you had one bad week in those 10 weeks, you pretty much eliminated yourself. And then they had these three race eliminations. And if you had one bad week in that one, you pretty much eliminated yourself. And now they kind of have this uh, bonus point structure where whatever you do throughout the, the, the regular season, those bonus points help carry you through a little bit as much of a, an insurance policy, I guess. That, um, you know, so your success matters all year long, which I think is the most fair scenario. And the closest to what we all remember back in the day with Earnhardt's championships and Petty's championships. So hopefully that'll, uh, that we can do it again this year. You may be too young at 34 to think about these things, but there are only 15 men who have won more than one 
Cup Series title. And of course, if you p pulled it off this year, you would join that very exclusive list. Is that important to you at all, or is that just for fans and media to talk about? I mean, yeah, it's important. Um, you know, I certainly don't want to go down, um, you know, as one of the best drivers of all time and, and only have one title. It just doesn't make sense. So, obviously, I've had plenty of opportunities to achieve more championships. It just doesn't It just doesn't come to fruition for whatever reason. You know, we've made it to the Final Four, uh, the championship race, if you will, uh, four years in a row, and, and we've only come out with one title. So, um, you know, you got to be on your game the whole way to get there, and then especially that final weekend when you get to Homestead, um, you know, you've got to be raring to go, ready to go. And last year, um, Joey Logano just flat out kicked everybody's ass in that race. You know, they were ready to go way more than, than the rest of us. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of crazy that it comes down to one race like that, one moment, uh, one game seven, I guess. But that's what makes, uh, that's what makes it exciting, and that's the format we got. Kyle Busch joining us for, from Joe Gibbs Racing. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter. He's a lot of fun there, at Kyle Busch. Kurt Busch has joined us several times here on the David Glenn Show, occasionally taking a fun poke at his brother Kyle. He, of course, is in the playoffs field. Are we to assume that all of the usual rules apply? Brother would put brother into the wall in a heartbeat, or, or maybe it's even like times 10 now that it's playoff season. Um, you know, you, you can't, uh, you can't make enemies, uh, at this point in the game, especially with, um, even with a brother or even with a teammate and such. So you try to, you try to be as, uh, as mindful of all that as possible. I mean, certainly there are moments in which, uh, we all want checker flags. We all want to win and you do anything possible in order to get that win. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if I've got enough points and I don't necessarily need a win, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, celebrity death match, I guess you call it, where, uh, <laughs> we have to win or we go home, you know, then, then you kind of got to weigh that on your mind. But if it is that you need that win or you're going to be locked out because of, you know, unfortunate circumstances and races prior or whatever, then you got to do what you got to do to move on through and, and take the, the course of action for that. Kyle Busch is joining us. We have a statewide audience here in North Carolina, which of course is kind of the home of NASCAR. And last year, if I remember correctly, a race that you, these guys are in Vegas this weekend, for those who don't know, 16 drivers still alive. By the end of the month, uh, they'll be at the Bank of America Roval 400, it's called now, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It was one of the biggest bumps in NASCAR viewership last year of the entire season, and of course it came under a new format. I know your brain is focused on Las Vegas, but since we won't talk to you probably between now and Charlotte, uh, what is your take on the revitalized format and uh, the fans' obviously positive reaction to the Roval 400? Uh, you know, whatever whatever brings attendance and puts butts in the seats and, and whatnot, you know, we're, we're for it. So uh, I didn't really notice the race be much different than what it would have been if it were an oval race, to be honest with you. The same players were the guys that were running up front. So, um, you know, it did come down towards the end there with some chaotic restarts and such where we all followed each other off a cliff basically into the wall and turn one yeah. uh, myself included and uh and then you know as we come down the stretch you've got jimmy johnson trying to hail mary type thing to uh uh to, to get past martin truex jr and they crash and then uh, blaney comes on to the win so everything that could have gone right 
uh, for publicity in that event did. And so we'll see what happens this time around. 16 drivers still alive. It'll be 12 by the beginning of next month, then eight, then the cut to four for that Homestead race in mid-November that Kyle mentioned a little while ago. You were the rookie of the year 14 years ago. You were the champion four years ago. How would you describe what you know now? you know, at 34, that maybe you did not understand yet or understand as well back as the rookie of the year in 05? Oh, uh, man, there's there's no telling. Just um, experience and, and life experiences and having the opportunities that I did. And, you know, when I got to the big time, I was 18 years old. I had only been racing for five years. Yeah. Um, I, I got a late start. I was 13 when I started. So, the amount of experiences and the amount of things that I've gone through and, and been a part of were a lot less than some of the other guys that have gotten to the top sport by, by that age. But uh, that's no excuse. Anyway, um, you know, certainly the things that I've learned over the course of the last 14 years, though, is uh, just uh, there's there's no other way to, to learn it or get it than to just go out there and do it. So um, I've been fortunate enough to be with a great team with Joe Gibbs Racing and manufacturer with Toyota and of course uh, amazing sponsors with interstate batteries and M&Ms and, and all the fine folks that have gotten us to this point so hopefully we can go out there and reward them with uh, with what they want to see and that's our team bringing home a championship. Last thing for you fall sports in the United States of America has this great collision of things like NASCAR and college football and especially the NFL you mentioned Joe Gibbs racing your team a lot of NFL fans got to watch that guy as a great football coach, and now he's a great team owner. What's the best part of being a part of that Joe Gibbs racing family? Um, you know, just the, the camaraderie and the way Joe is, and he's at the shop every single day. He works just like he did as an NFL head coach. I mean, he is he is nonstop. He's on the go, and um, he's one of the, the – he, he says it a lot better than I guess I could, you know, but he um, – goes about his business and wanting to be the best very very well and uh, doesn't let his people down lightly um, always puts the pressure on them to make sure that they're performing and doing their job whether you're an engineer or a driver like myself or a crew chief or whatever and um, you know he keeps us all on our toes we certainly know that we need to do a good job and he's there for us and uh, gives us all the tools and all the resources necessary so um, he's one of the best out there and so he's certainly proved that with three NFL titles and uh, and four NASCAR titles. Kyle Busch, on his way to Vegas. Congratulations on the regular season title. And as always, thank you for your time on the David Glenn Show. Right on. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. You got it. Rowdy, as they call him. He's on Twitter, at Kyle Busch, drives the number 18 car for Joe Gibbs and Joe Gibbs Racing. Vegas offers 16 drivers the chance to continue to advance. Buy that Roval 400 here in our backyard on September 29th. They will cut after that race, so that race matters a lot for the cut. They'll cut to 12, then gradually to 8, and then 4 for the Homestead race for all the marbles in mid-November. 1-800-849-2761. We have a lot of football on our mind. The best and worst of the extended weekend, if you will, since I was on the golf course yesterday. I'm not asking for your best or worst of the weekend per se. I have some of my own reflections on what went right and wrong for various NFL and college football teams near and afar. You can jump in on the questions I've posed. This is for Panthers fans, but we can broaden it if you like. What did you learn, good and or bad, about your Carolina Panthers? I have at least one spectacular, phenomenal, worth celebrating highlight, meaning a good for the Panthers, 
and at least one really, really disappointing worst of the weekend from that same NFL team here in our backyard. What did you learn, good and bad, about your Carolina Panthers in that 30-27 to loss to the L.A. Rams in Charlotte? I'll tell you whether I believe that is cause for alarm or something where you should just turn the page and move on to this matchup against the Buccaneers on Thursday night. Mac is back, and his Tar Heels are 2-0 and and got a lot of best of the weekend votes. One of the questions I've gotten as a guy who's a guest on other people's radio and TV shows, even more than I am a host here of the syndicated statewide David Glenn Show in North Carolina, I've gotten the what is real aspect of the Carolina football story and what might be a mirage about that same 2-0 and start. I'll give you my two cents on that. The football college football question of the day is, who is the third best team in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Clemson's number one in the nation, so we're not going to argue that for now. UVA is the preseason pick to win the Coastal and was mine, and they have started the Cavaliers 2-0, and and I think they deserve a lot of credit for how they dominated both of their first two opponents. And one was Pittsburgh at Pitt. That's not the same as, say, back-to-back cupcakes, relatively speaking, that the Wolfpack beat to get to 2-0, and or even App State beat to get to 2-0. and Who is that next best team after the Tigers and the Cavaliers? Is it Wake? Is it Carolina? Is it NC State? How about 2-0 Boston College? How about a couple teams that have lost once but lost to a really good team? How about the 0-2 Miami Hurricanes? How bad are they? Are the Canes really bad at 0-2? Are the Heels great at 2-0? Would you make either of those statements? I don't think it's quite that simple, and I'll tell you why. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks who work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. For a team who struggled over the last couple of years to win fourth quarter games, I'm, I'm so happy to, to see them do it twice, uh, two weeks in a row. It's, uh, it's really special. It was a team win. Uh, the whole team and staff made a bunch of mistakes again, uh, but the whole team made enough good plays along with the bad plays in all three phases. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mac Brown, Mac is back with a 2-0 start. Recent guest on our show, Mac will be back soon as a guest as well. Mac is headed to Winston-Salem. Dave Clawson of the Deacons is also off to a 2-0 start. So it's 2-0 Carolina at 2-0 Wake Forest. The votes I've received so far for our college football question of the day. Who is the third best team in the ACC? Clemson's number one nationally. So let's not have that argument, at least for now, regionally. UVA, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt at number two. They dominated at Pitt, so a conference opponent, in their opener on the road. Then they crushed William and Mary as they should this past week. They have veterans on both sides of the ball who can play and are NFL prospects. They're blending in some new young talent. That's exactly what you need to make a run to a trip at the ACC title game. Remember, the Coastal Division, seven different schools, has had six different representatives the last six years in the ACC title game. And Bronco Mendenhall and his school UVA would be the only school that has not yet made that appearance in what is now a seven-year stretch. So if the Cavs can finish this off, 
long way to go. It would be seven different schools representing the Coastal in seven different years. Usually the Coastal champ loses, often badly, to lately the Clemson Tigers of Dabo Sweeney. But the question of the day, who is the third best team in the league, is intriguing in part because the right answer might be 2-0 Wake Forest. They played a good, dangerous Utah State team and beat them in a shootout at home to open the season. They went to Rice, a team they're supposed to beat convincingly, and they did beat them convincingly. They have a veteran quarterback in Jamie Newman who is somewhat quietly, because of headlines elsewhere, putting up great numbers. The guy doesn't lose as a starting quarterback. Remember, he took over late last year at Wake when Sam Hartman, their freshman starter at the time, got hurt. Jamie Newman's been doing nothing but win football games since then, often convincingly, as we welcome your calls, 1-800-849-2761. Who is that next best team in the ACC? It might be Wake. It might be Carolina. They play each other Friday. It might be NC State. I know they only beat ECU and they only beat a Western Carolina team that had some of its best players suspended. So you don't learn much through two weeks. But the dominating fashion there and the back-to-back nine-win seasons suggests some promise, and that we will learn. It's not as good a West Virginia team this week, or this year rather, as it would have been last year. Remember that game that got canceled? Would it have been fun to see Ryan Finley against Will Greer a year ago? Yeah. Mother Nature had other ideas. The Mountaineers are down. They were embarrassed last week, but the Mountaineers are at home. So we're going to learn more about Matthew McKay as the first-year starter for the pack. He did not have as difficult a job description against ECU or Western as he will in most ACC games and even a road trip to what is often a hostile environment in Morgantown, West Virginia. Boston College is 2-0. I pose the question more to elaborate on the reality that it is wide open more so than to convince you that there is an absolute correct answer. I mean, somebody could catch UVA. Somebody on a given day could even shock the Clemson Tigers. And for those who roll their eyes at that, just remember Pitt's done it. Syracuse has done it. It can and does happen in college football. Would you predict it? No. In fact, what did Mark Richt of the ACC Network tell us last week? He thought the biggest risk game for Dabo's Tigers this year was Texas A&M. He thought that was the highest risk game. And that maybe Syracuse was the second highest risk game. Well, you know what happened? Dabo and Clemson beat on the scoreboard Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M 24-10. I watched that game DVR style because we were at Miami UNC, so I wasn't catching it live. The Tigers dominated Texas A&M. They were personally offended that the Aggies cut it close last year and then bragged about it in the offseason. Oh, we threw for 400-plus yards on the 15-0 national champion Clemson Tigers. That stuck like a crawl in the just a needle in there against Brent Venable's defense, and those players played with the chip on their shoulder. Numbers-wise, it was a more convincing victory for Clemson over A&M than what 24-10 suggests. Meanwhile, Syracuse went to Maryland. And as we come to your calls, NFL question of the day, what did you learn good and bad about your Carolina Panthers? We'll broaden it to other teams after I give you my thoughts on that 30-27 to 27 loss to the Rams. You could be next on the college or pro question of the day. Maryland was one of the more impressive performers of the college weekend. Syracuse was a worst of the weekend vote getter in our inbox because the final score there was 63-20. to 63-20. to 20. I saw some of that DVR style. And the orange was just smashed as bad as that final score indicates in College Park. So Florida State, 
surviving Louisiana Monroe after losing to Boise. Worst of the weekend. The Steelers getting crushed by the Patriots. The Browns, preseason darling for the first time in a long time, crushed at home by the Tennessee Titans. Worst of the weekend. The Dolphins. The NFL team that is coming as close to true tanking as anybody we've seen in a while. Embarrassed at home by the Baltimore Ravens, led by quarterback Lamar Jackson. A lot of worst of the weekend to go around. Some are saying the Miami Hurricanes, their loss to the Tar Heels might not be considered embarrassing. But Manny Diaz is staring straight in the face of the first 0-2 start since 1978 for the Miami Hurricanes. So Willie Taggart, remember last year, first year coach at FSU. He's the first guy in more than 30 years that fails to lead the Seminoles to a bowl game. That gets you on the wrong side of your fan base. Then you lose to Boise in your opener, and now they're hopping mad in year two. And for those who don't know, if they want to get rid of Willie Taggart at the end of this, his second season, it's a $17 million buyout. It's one of the highest I've ever seen. Would they do it? I don't know. Just remember last year when Carolina had this debate over Larry Fedora, and it was a somewhat similar large number, $12 million in buyout money to just make Larry Fedora go away was often described as too much. Oh, you can't pay somebody that much just to not coach when you got to pay the new guy a lot just to get him to build a good staff, as Mac Brown did in Chapel Hill. Well, Carolina pulled the trigger on $12 million. Florida State doesn't have near the wealth of UNC. So it's an even more precarious situation financially. Of course, Willie Taggart has some time to turn this season around. They did beat Louisiana Monroe. (laughs) They needed a missed extra point to make sure that it was a victory. But Florida State, a worst of the weekend, even in victory, as we welcome your call, 1-800-849-2761. What's real and what might be a mirage about the Carolina Tar Heels' best of the weekend story and what was worth celebrating and worth your concern about the Carolina Panthers' worst of the weekend? Again, I'll start by saying 30-27 to 27 loss to the Rams is not a worst of the weekend. I think the Rams are a contender again. We know the Rams won the NFC last year. We know that Sean McVay guy can coach. We know Todd Gurley and his backup, man. Malcolm Brown was a bad dude running for the Rams against your Panthers this weekend. I'm not calling it a worst of the weekend, just the loss. But as Christian McCaffrey is a reminder of how good the Panthers can be this year, he is only the fifth guy in the Super Bowl era, meaning more than 50-plus years, to have 10 or more receptions and 120 or more rushing yards in a single game. You have Luke Keekley as one of the best defensive players in the NFL on one side of the ball. You have Christian McCaffrey as one of the most promising, prolific run-receiver tailbacks in the entire to enter the NFL in recent years. That's part of a foundation that still has a chance to be really, really good. But as you celebrate the greatness of Christian McCaffrey, I'll tell you the biggest disappointment to me as we come back to your calls. Cam Newton looked healthy. If you saw Cam's throw to the right sideline relatively early in that game, it was third down. He was on the left side of the hash. He was looking for DJ Moore near the right sideline. Now, that's not a bomb. But that's a long NFL caliber throw. They don't even ask most college uh, quarterbacks to attempt that pass. At the NFL level, you're expected to be able to make it, and Cam did. So you might not have seen 
as much of the long ball as you wanted to see in a 30-27 to 27 loss to the Rams. Remember, the Rams have one of the best cornerback combos in the entire NFL. So it might have been part of the game plan that you're not really counting on your best wideouts to beat their best corners on a regular basis. The disappointing part for Cam, even as I'd argue he did look healthy, we don't know everything about his foot. He had one of the lower rushing totals of his entire career. Now, is that Cam's in his 30s now? Norv Turner doesn't want him to put his body at risk as often. They're not game planning for as much running for one of the greatest. There's no doubt about it in the numbers. One of the greatest dual threat quarterbacks in NFL history. That's not debatable. Cam's rushing numbers and scoring TD numbers com combined with what he's done as a thrower put him in that rarefied air as a dual threat arm and legs. Is it game plan? Is it his health? Is it his decision-making? We're not sure of all that. Might it be a leftover from the injured foot in the preseason? We don't know that for sure either. But what did happen in that game where you end up losing by only three points? I would argue if you listed the five most important plays of the game, Cam Newton was the GOAT, and I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean the GOAT bad guy. The You screwed up, and you're the GOAT in the aftermath as a result. Cam Newton made two of the biggest, the five biggest errors in the entire game. At this stage of your career especially, you're in year nine in the NFL. It is not a little thing whether your swing pass out in the flat is thrown forward or not. Don't blame your receiver. Don't blame the play caller. It is your responsibility as a veteran NFL quarterback to throw the ball even if it is fractionally forward. It must be thrown forward. Otherwise, what's the risk? If it's a lateral, rather than being an incomplete pass, it is a fumble. It is a live ball. And typically on those throws to the flat, either your one guy gets it, DJ Moore, or think about how a play like that unfolds. There's one offensive player near the ball, and there's about five defensive players running toward that spot. Your odds of, of recovering that lateral slash fumble as the offense are really bad. There's whoever was guarding DJ Moore, and then there's whoever rushes to that spot as they see Cam Newton plant his foot, throw to the side. You can't tell as a defensive player whether it's barely a lateral or barely a forward pass. You're taught to go after it like it's a fumble, which it turned out to be. Against a great opponent that is well-coached, that probably will come down to a single possession and, in fact, did 30-27. to 27. You can't, deep in your own territory, make that throw a lateral and a fumble. Blame whoever you want to blame. Cam Newton is first on the list of who you have to blame for that lateral. Massive mental mistake. If a rookie did it, you might chalk it up to inexperience. The ninth-year guy who's been an MVP cannot and must not make that kind of throw, especially in the shadow of his own goalposts. So you're setting the Rams up there for an easy score in a game you lose by three points. And then what happened later in the game? Again, two of the five biggest mistakes by either side you can lay at the feet of Cam Newton. And if you've listened to this show for any portion of the last two decades, you know I'm not a hater and I'm not a lover. I don't defend Cam against all criticism, and I don't praise him as if he's perfect. I follow the body of work. I follow where the evidence leads me. And the haters refuse to admit that he was the MVP and a 15-1 guy and when healthy took this franchise to the Super Bowl. 
And the defenders will not admit that he still makes dumb mistakes nine years into his career. Both of those things are true. I always roll my eyes at those who run to opposite corners and want to pretend that the world is just all black or all white or all crystal clear. No, the truth is usually somewhere in between, right? The same Cam Newton who threw that lateral, giving the Rams an easy score on that short field, threw by a linebacker reading his eyes as if he were a rookie, a, a, an interception in the fourth quarter with about six minutes to go. Now, you might tell me, hey, the Rams ended up missing a field goal after they took advantage of that interception. You're right. But when you're down 30 to 20 with six minutes to go, you have a chance there, 6.30 to go, Panthers ball, and Cam throws, I mean, Corey Littleton, who had a great game for the Rams. I mean, phenomenal game. He had the peanut punch on DJ Moore for that first fumble, and he recovered the ball, caused it and recovered it. Well, he read Cam. He's the young linebacker. Why was he tricking the veteran quarterback? Corey Littleton makes like he's covering the guy in the middle of the field, follows Cam Newton's eyes, cuts in front of the actual rece- intended receiver, and makes an interception. Horrible interception by Cam Newton. Horrible. Just rookie, they read your eyes and figured out where you were throwing it. In your ninth year in the NFL, you can't throw that lateral fumble. In your ninth year in the NFL, you can't throw that interception. Interceptions happen to everybody, right? Sometimes it's a man-on-man situation and the other guy beats your man. That's not the end of the world, right? Sometimes it's a deflected pass. And, and, you know, it could have easily fallen to the ground. That's just kind of bad luck. This is, they outsmarted you. And you threw it. I mean, Corey Littleton did not have to make a diving catch of that interception. That was a train wreck lateral in the shadow of your own goalposts. And that was a train wreck interception. Even though Zerline missed, which is rare for him, from about 40 yards, and it wasn't points, it was lost minutes. So that by the time the Panthers put together that final drive to make it 30-27, to 27, it was essentially out of touch, basically. They had a shot, but you can't throw that interception with six minutes to go. You can't throw that fumble lateral in the first quarter. Not against a team like the L.A. Rams. Those two mistakes, seriously, as big a difference as anything else we follow between the Panthers being 0-1 or 1-0. Back after this on the David Glenn Show. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this. this. Is everything open, man? We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day (laughs) and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. Was Jerry Rice, the all-time wide receiver, great, correct, when he said that We all got played by Antonio Brown as he manipulated himself to the New England Patriots from his place on the Raiders roster. And, of course, we'll talk all things Panthers after the Rams defeat with Joe Person from The Athletic Carolina. He joins us next on The David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? How does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I I hope it's not awkward. (laughs) Um, You know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.